Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Moms. This is Dorothy Polarski. I'm uh, just so thrilled to have you here. Um, as you're signing on, could you please say hello to us and hello to Teresa in the chat? You know, if uh, you're Maria from Meadowvale, say hi, I'm Maria from Meadowvale. <laughs> if you're Maria from Mexico, just say hi, I'm Maria from Mexico in the chat. We love to know who's here. Because um, one of the problems with these Zoom meetings is half the time you're wondering, is anyone really there? <laughs> so when, when, you, when we see your name pop up in chat, it, it helps us, it helps me, it helps Teresa. Um, so please do uh, say hello to us as you're signing on. Don't be afraid. We don't. <laughs> hey, there we go, Martine. Hey, Martine from Mississauga. Yay. Thank you very much, Martine, for joining us. Uh, you're such a loyal, loyal attendee. It gives me hope knowing that, uh, yes, Martine will be there. Um, I just wanted to very quickly um, introduce uh, Teresa. Teresa is in her 18th year of being Director of Family Life Ministry for the Diocese of Hamilton. Teresa, do you wanna just tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure, well, I'm actually was 18 years on July 1st, so I'm now into my 19th year. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, um, I uh, am living in Hamilton. I grew up in Hamilton, attended school in Hamilton, went to McMaster. Then I attended Brock, uh, got my teachers, a, a bachelor's of ed, master's from St. Augustine's uh, in religious education and was teaching in the Catholic board. I stayed home for many, many years when my children were younger, Was uh, went back and was teaching, happy, thought that's where I was going to stay. Uh, and then the diocese approached. I'd done some work for them in the family ministry office and one of the people were retiring. And I said, I don't know about that, but I took a two-year leave of absence and I loved the job, loved the position, really everything I'd ever done in life sort of came to a, a center here. And so here I am all these years later, uh, lots of learning that have happened, lots of meeting people. These things are wonderful to be able to reach out. Um, I work with Birthright Have since my oldest son was born. I'm director here in Hamilton. Uh, he's going to be 38 this year. So I've been there a long time too. Uh, and, also, <laughs> and also with the diocese, I began uh, Project Rachel, part of my work here to support women who had abortions. So um, it's really a, an all-encompassing job. And uh, my most important role, I always say, is as wife uh, to my husband, Joe, mother to my four uh, children, now three uh, in-law children, uh, and to my six grandchildren. Uh, and we're hoping, uh, of course, we'll see more of those in the future. Oh, wow. I'm always so, so impressed and edified when I hear about all the things that you've done, all the things that you're doing. And uh, just also a reminder that there are different phases, you know, in a mom's life. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was on the road to like workaholism and careerism and, you know, traveling internationally, then took years off and then went yeah. back and then, you know, so, so life as a mom really is exciting, you know. I it is exciting, yeah. And sometimes people think that, oh, you know, these years when our kids are little, I'm going to be missing out on this and that. And if I don't, you know, keep my nose to the grindstone at work or whatever, but really, it's still waiting for you. I, I stopped altogether and 
when I came back, it was still waiting for me. Yeah. Like the dust, the dust falls under the bed, you know, it's always there. Yeah, there's always plenty of work to do, right? Always yeah. plenty of work to do. Um, so some of you are here for, you know, maybe the 52nd time, and some of you might be here for the first time. I wanted to extend a warm, warm welcome to each of you. Again, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of CatholicMomsGroup.com. I always say three simple words, Catholic Moms Group, three words.com. We ask you to uh, visit our website. We are faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto, and we are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. And I was talking to uh, um, someone actually today at the Diocese of St. Catharines, and, and, and she says, are you like, you know, is your program for working moms and, you know, stay-at-home moms? And I'm like, when I say we're on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood, that doesn't mean that we expect moms not to work. <laughs> I, I mean, they but, can today. Today is very hard today not to yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, what does the vocation of motherhood mean? The vocation of motherhood means that it's a call from God, that you have a supernatural task, that you're to be sort of like a mini spiritual director um, in your in your family and teach your children how to play, pray and play. <laughs> and so, yes, our uh, you know we're here on a mission to revive and to elevate um, you know motherhood, but not to take moms uh, uh, out of the workforce. <laughs> I'm basically a workaholic, so. Trust me, trust me. Anyway, um, I wanted to, oh, Nelsie, Nelsie's here from, Nelsie. uh, from Milton. Nelsie is going to be starting a Catholic Moms Group there. We're in fact uh, working now with the Archdiocese of Hamilton in starting a Moms Group. So I'm going to play a very short, you know, three minute video that tells you a little bit about our ministry and then we'll dive right into today's talk because I just can't wait. So let me share my screen here and find, there we go. Oh, that's not what we were supposed to find. <laughs> I was showing you my Yahoo mail, um, which is fine, but there's really nothing too exciting there. So <laughs> we help parishes start uh, moms groups, mothers and tots groups and virtual groups. And um, this will tell you a little bit about, oh, there's, appears like a, a little bit of a network problem. I'm glad that the network problem, oh, there we go. Mothers, by our very nature, we are nurturing, loving caregivers. We are social beings made for friendship and community. We are also spiritual by nature, made by a loving God to know him and love him, and to pass this love of our Catholic faith on to our children. But right now, many mothers feel overextended, distracted, and exhausted. Though as Catholics, we have the community of our church, Many mothers attending Mass could not name the moms sitting next to them in the pew they share. Community and support among Catholic mothers is desperately needed in this hectic and chaotic culture. Your parish needs you to bring these moms together. 
Hi, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of Catholic Moms Group. We at Catholic Moms Group are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. We exist to bring together like-minded, faith-filled mothers who crave community and are focused on spiritual growth, Catholic teaching, and fellowship. Can you imagine a thriving, engaged mothers group at your parish? A group of moms in love with their Catholic faith, ready to serve other mothers no matter what stage of motherhood they're at. Can you imagine what a difference that would make at your parish? Starting a mother's group, it's not rocket science, but working with a team who's done it before and who's done it dozens and dozens of times sure does help. The Catholic Moms Group membership site is an online community that offers training, resources, and dozens of tools for parishes to help them start a mother's group quickly and efficiently. We're here to provide you with a clear path to launching a Catholic Moms Group at your parish. All of our materials are 100% Catholic. We have clearly laid out meetup plans for both moms groups and toddler groups. We are obedient to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We have created dozens of tools that are going to save you time and energy. And besides that, we love our Blessed Mother. We constantly turn to her for her intercession. You can make a huge impact in your parish, so join us. We are revolutionizing the way parishes start mothers groups by providing parishes with a Catholic mothers group starter kit and by nourishing and training a community of Catholic mothers group leaders across the world. It's time to start a mothers group at your parish. Join us today. We're hoping that someone here today gets the call from our Blessed Mother to start a mom's group at her parish. Um, you can contact me, or if you're in the Hamilton Diocese, you can contact Teresa. Um, we're here to help you, and uh, we guarantee you'll have a lot of fun doing it too. Now, uh, Teresa, again, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, in one of our conversations, Teresa mentioned a number of presentations that she's done, and she mentioned this, you know, family of origin and how it affects you and how it affects your family and, you know, what are some of the things that you as a mom can do to stop the effects maybe that your family of origin has had on you that you're kind of unconsciously passing down um, in your own family. And, Teresa, it's a it's a remarkable topic. I just can't wait for you to share your wisdom and information on it because I do think that once moms examine their family of origin, that it frees them on a number of levels. But you know, sometimes it doesn't. So I'm gonna, you know, the floor is all yours now. So uh, hey. tell us a little bit about how you came across you know, the, the, the topic and, you know, what we can do to learn more and, and, and so on. Yeah, well, I'm going to give you some background information in a minute. We'll go through some things. I'll pull up some slides, but just as a little uh, 
sort of example of, of, from my own life that maybe give you some insight. So before I started the job here, of course, we understand that our family influences us and all those kinds of things. Even in the research and therapists and all that, family of origin was not always considered as strong an influencer as we now know that it is. At times, people who were um, had issues with the law, those kinds of things. They'd look to family and say, maybe there was a problem in the family, but we didn't look to our everyday living. So my sister and I have children that are very close in age. Uh, two of our children are the same age and our oldest are one year apart. So we used to do a lot of traveling together in the summers. And every year when we, we I have four children, two boys and two girls, as I mentioned. And so when you're packing up to go away, if you're traveling, if you're going you know, to a cottage, you got tons of stuff so I would be packing 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 the beach toys the cold clothes the warm clothes the food the you know the everything uh, and so the entire front hallway of my house would be full of stuff and my husband would come in from work on Friday night we'd be leaving on Saturday and I'd say somehow you gotta fit all this into the car all he had to do just as a little aside is pack his own things uh, and he would always make some off-handed joke you know and it was a joke uh, he'd say something like, uh, are you sure you, I think you've missed the kitchen sink or, you know, uh, do you think we drive a truck or so there would always be, and it would always set me off. I don't know why I knew he was joking. And uh, so we were traveling this one time and uh, because the kids used to flip around and sit in each other, our other vehicles, sometimes my sister and I drove together, sometimes uh, um, the, the, the guys who drive together. So we were driving together and I said, you know what? I can't believe it. Last night I got into this whole snit because Joe mentioned something about the kitchen sink. And, and she said, oh my God, that's the argument we have every year too. And then she said to me, she's two years older than I am. Don't you remember that when we were getting ready to go on holidays, every year as kids, we religiously went away to a cottage somewhere. My parents booked a cottage. Don't you remember mom and dad having that argument every year? about how much stuff was bringing and dad would say, what do you think? How can I do that? He'd put the playpen on top of the car, fill it with stuff. So we, we got talking about this and we both realized that we weren't even really angry that they were making a joke or you know, her husband was the same, but something sort of rose up inside of us and it suddenly dawned on me, it's what we heard, it's what we learned. So now I'm arguing with my husband and I didn't even really care because of a learned something that from childhood that I didn't remember. I didn't remember my parents arguing like that. So these are family of origins are in the little things of life, everyday things. So we're going to look at some of the material today. We're only tip of the iceberg kind of thing, but it'll give you some insights, A, for your own self. Because often when we do marriage preparation, we do a piece on family of origin because know how much where, what we came from impacts us. What I like to say is the second we exit the womb, actually, we could go that before children exit the womb, we're impacting them as well by how we eat, all those kinds of things, the environment they're in. But as soon as they exit the womb, we are as parents teaching them two things, how to be a mom or a dad and how to be a husband or wife. And then we're also teaching them about relationship skills. So when we think about it, sometimes parents will call me and they'll talk about how out of control their children are, but they just can't, uh, you know, they, I ask them, have they taken a parenting class, those kinds of things? And they'll say no. And I said, let me ask you a simple question. Would you want your child to be the spouse of one of your children? 
Well, the answer is no way. They know they got to do something. So family of origin can, we, we sometimes do things as parents we don't even realize. I remember one time when my daughter got into her teen years, I don't can't tell you what the argument was about or anything else. She wanted to do something. I said she couldn't. And, you know, she got into this whole huff. And as the words came out of my mouth, I'm your mother and you'll do it because I said so. <laughs> I said to her, and now you've turned me into my mother. So, you know, those words were, well, I, you know, so it's an influence. It's not always a bad influence. We have great influences from our parents. I see my children who are parents now, two of my four have children, and they do lots of the things we did with their kids. It's amazing to see it so repetitive. So as you're going through this today, it's a little bit about family of origin to think for yourself, maybe some of the things that I'm irritated with in my life, maybe some of the good things in my life come from my family. Maybe there are things I don't want my children to do. I don't want to pass on to my grandchildren. So now I have to rethink and do it differently because it's so ingrained into who we are. We're not like me when I said that to my daughter. We're not always thinking of it. The brain is like a little uh, computer chip. It searches for what's similar to this moment. Oh, there it is. That's how you're going to feel. And that's what family of origin has done for us. We don't remember much of our childhood. Sometimes big events of joy or big events of sorrow, we remember. But experts will say we don't remember a lot prior to the age of eight or nine. So, um, it, you know, but you think if you've got children, you know how much you do between zero and nine for your kids and how much hands-on time there is. So we're impacting them. We don't remember. They don't remember. But it's all there and it's causing a response. So let's get into the material so that uh, we don't just talk about things and we actually uh, can uh, see it. So I'm assuming, oh, uh oh, there we go. I'm assuming you can see that okay because I see it on my screen. Can you see it, Dorothy? I can see it perfectly. Yeah. So just going to define family of origin because uh, I, I mean, I think most people have a sense of what it is, but family of origin. Uh, is any family that you were raised in, whether or not it's your biological family or not. When you're raised in a family that's not your biological family, you have an additional layer of family of origin because a lot of who we are and more and more they're discovering comes from our genetics. But there's also a very, very big portion that comes from the environment. So therefore, if I am uh, someone who was maybe raised by grandparents or I was adopted by someone. Um, I'm going to have that whole environmental piece, but I also have a biological piece, one that I may not even quite know, which is why in today's world, when children are placed for adoption, they try to get as much detail as they can about both families so that in the future, this child will then be able to look back and say, oh, you know, that's where my love of music comes from, or that's where my shyness comes from. And all the things we know have some characteristics. So um, there's certain ways that you interact with that family of origin, the one that's with you present as you're growing up. Uh, and there's an environment around which you're living. A perfect example is in my husband and my household, my husband was raised in a family of six, I in a family of five, our backyards were basically almost kitty corner to each other. He was two houses over. If I hopped the fence and walked two houses, I was at his house. Um, 
And yet uh, in his family, there were, there's very different characteristics than mine. My mother loved us to chat. That's why I talk all the time. And so she was very big at the table of talking to us about the day, about what's going on in politics, even when we were younger at a basic level. So we spent time at the table. When you finished dinner, you didn't get up. You kept talking and arguing sometimes. Uh, and my husband was trying to eat and left. So when he came to my household, it was like, I think a little bit of shell shock, all the noise and racket that went on, first of all. But secondly, even today, all these years later, uh, and we've had kids now, I told you my son's 38 this year. Uh, he, it, he still tends to eat, sit for a few minutes and join the conversation and then get up and start clearing the table uh, because it's just in his DNA almost to get up instinctively. And sometimes the kids will call him on it. So back he comes, oh, I didn't even notice I was getting up. And I, I think that's true. So that environment and that family and each person in the family and that can go to extended family, although the immediate family that you live with has the greater impact, each member influences your thinking and your behavior because of that close interaction. So key to understanding that, of course, uh, you know, we, our family has this massive impact on us and you're having that on your children. So in those days when we don't do so good, we have to sort of forgive ourselves. We're not gonna be perfect examples all the time life sometimes gets in the way but we want for the most part to be conveying a good message of how to be in relationship how to live is faith important to us all those kinds of messages have to be the bulk of the time if you ever want a perfect example some of you may have seen this movie of the impact of family of origin there's a scene in the story of us which we use in marriage preparation this is an old movie it's from 1999 uh, starring as you can see there bruce willis and michelle pfeiffer uh, and they uh, are uh, struggling a little bit in their marriage so the kiddies go off for the weekend to grandma and grandpa's they go out for a nice meal they come back home uh, they get into bed and he is, of course, very interested in this might be a great intimate moment for us. We've been getting along so well tonight. And she says, I promised the kids I'd write them a note. So it becomes, I won't go into any more, a whole ordeal. First of all, the two of them are arguing about this. That can wait. No, it can't, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden beside his side of the bed, his mother appears. She starts talking. And then on her side, her mother. Then the dad's on both sides. At first, they have the scene. And it's a fairly fast scene where only one person is talking. So Bruce Willis might be talking, then Michelle Pfeiffer, then the mom on his side, then the, the dad on her side. So it's individual talking, but there's all this influence of what they're saying about the situation. And they culminated by all six people talking. You can't understand anybody. You don't know what they're saying. It's just, ah, blah, 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 blah. that's family of origin in your head. It's constantly there. So when you're trying to override it, uh, you know, it's a challenge because it's directing our thoughts, it's directing our feelings. Again, that computer chip telling us, oh, here's something similar. So that voice is there. You cannot deny it. You can control it and you can override it, but you have to be aware of it or it will influence what you're doing without you even realizing it. So you may have been told, as many people are, you look like your dad, you talk like your mom, you act just like uncle so-and-so, you know, uh, and so it's always bad when it's uncle so-and-so. Uh, and, you know, no family is perfect. We know that. Uh, but we do get traits from our families. We do look similar. And 
um, we sometimes look dissimilar. I have a daughter who people in the mall will say to her, are you Teresa Hartman's daughter? Because she looks so much like me. My other daughter is more like her dad. He's more like, she's more like the Hartman side of the family. So in our families, not only do we physically look and sound like people, my friends will always tell me, your sister and you talk exactly the same way. And we talk with our hands, but we're not Italian because the people, a lot of people put that trait down to Italians. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe that's, a, a, again, a cultural characteristics. But in any way, that you know, often there are very positive dynamics between family members. Uh, we get along. We love them. We joke. We're safe with them. But there's also negative ones in every family system. And that comes from differences in personalities, differences in characteristics. Uh, we all view the world through our own lens and we cannot forget that. I once went to a conference where a speaker said this line that at the time I honestly dismissed it, thought this guy's a little off. But after I have never stopped thinking about it, it's probably 15 years ago. And he said, when it comes to communication, I'm not sure we can ever communicate with anyone as we think, because what you say and what they hear are always two different things. So I kind of poo-pooed that. I thought, well, I think people hear, but, but since I've learned more and more, in particular around this image, a uh, family origin, I realized what he meant is that what I say can be interpreted by you in any way. You can take it negatively because someone said something to you long ago or acted this way. And I don't know about any of that. I know what I'm thinking and I think I know what you're gonna hear, but you might not be hearing that. And anyone who's married will understand that. You say something to your spouse like, um, could you put that glass in the dishwasher? And it becomes a, oh, I just put it down there. I can't even believe it. You don't give me five minutes, blah, blah, blah. It becomes a whole ordeal. And all you were you're saying, like all I was asking was that, but they're seeing it as criticism. They're seeing it as nagging, whatever the case may be. So. Uh, you know, we have to be aware of these things. And it's important to acknowledge that we have strengths, most often strengths from our family, but we also have growth areas from our family. And unless we acknowledge them, we will repeat them. And then our children will repeat them and so on and so on. So as Dorothy said earlier on, you know, sometimes as parents, we have to say, okay, our parents weren't trying to hurt us or anything like that but that wasn't the best I didn't like the way that was happened and so I'm not going to do that and so we change specifically change the behavior a good example again my mother-in-law came from a you'd have to say abusive I wanted to say fairly abusive but really it was an abusive situation uh, in that her mom was a very critical person criticized all the time all the time in fact we all believe, and she believes, that it wasn't for her one aunt who, from the time she was a little child, would take her overnight and was a sweet and loving, beautiful person that she survived, if you will. She made a conscious choice never to be that way with her children like her mother because it was so hurtful to her. But the, So that's a great decision. And it worked well, except that in never wanting to be critical, she was sometimes overly uncritical. And that means that sometimes they weren't disciplined when they should have been, and sometimes there were issues because of it. So there's always this issue in families that sort of, if you will, balancing act. But let's talk again about family. Families, 
you know, we take from our, after our parents in many ways, in our looks, in our physique, our personality. We sometimes forget these things. And very often in families, those of you with children that are, are starting to get, I'm going to say probably at three plus, but sometimes even sooner, but three plus, you begin to see characteristics that are similar and dissimilar to parents. And when we don't understand the fact that we often are antagonistic between children that are too similar to us because they have our bad characteristics as well as our good characteristics. So when they are stubborn or when they're, you know, we think, you know, we got to get that out of them. Uh, and so we get very antagonistic towards each other. And yet we are best able to understand why as children, they have a hard time dealing with that. So we have to admit again, where are our weaknesses? And if our children have them, we're not going to try to, you know, get it out of them. We're going to have try to help them deal with it better because usually we do in life as well. So all these things come from your parents, particular mannerisms. And, and that last one, I want you to see the values and ethics. We are constantly, constantly, every minute of every day teaching our children. If a song comes on the radio with bad language or a subject matter that's no good, and you think, oh boy, but you just let it play out with saying nothing. The message to your children is that it's okay. That swearing, that subject, whatever. Turning it off and saying, well, that's not acceptable is another message. It's a value ethic. It's telling them that why it's not acceptable. Going to church, praying, uh, reminding them that we don't treat other people like that because we are called by our baptism to care for people. Everything we say and do puts a message across to our children. And what we don't do speaks as loudly, sometimes louder than what we do do. Yes, there's a lot of pressure on us as parents, but we have this precious possession uh, for sure. Uh, and so we have to really look at it. So the other thing that can happen is sometimes um, a child will pick up physical characteristics from genetics that are not so much part of the family. So families that have more than one child, two, three, four, however many children you have, you, you might sometimes have, I have a friend who has eight children, seven of them look exactly like her family. There's, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't deny it. If they were on the street, you'd know who they were. And one of them looks not like her husband, but like her husband's brother, like spitting image. Uh, and so he's, in a way very different in the family. He looks different, he, he has a different personality. So we have to be cautious that we make sure that we, uh, you know, we embrace all of our children the same and that they understand they're part of this bigger uh, family as well. So lots of things are being taught and lots of things are given by us by genetics. Temperament is one of those. A lot of our personality traits now genetic related. So we have to understand and I'm, I'm going to use this term, I do not mean hit physically. We, we can't beat it out of our children. You know, sometimes we keep trying to make them not be shy. We're just not going to, but if they have a genetic deep disposition, we can help them manage it, but we shouldn't try to, to make it not part of who they are because that can do more damage. And it ultimately came, if you will, from us at some point in genetic history, if not from us directly. So what contributes to that personality? Well, we're born with certain traits. That's what I've been talking about. Uh, some people are genetically shy. Uh, we know that. 
the environment uh, in which we were raised, obviously, uh, again, uh, social, economic, culturally, um, all those kinds of things are your environment and they all impact uh, where you've been. When I was teaching, I took my grade eight class to Ottawa and on the trip, of course, you have to stop and they buy lunch and all that. And we went into Tim Hortons, all the kids had their money. They were all excited, you know, off they went, bought their stuff. And one kid was hanging back and hanging back at the doorway, looking at the menu. So I kind of let her stand there for a little bit, but we have a limited time that we're actually stopping. So I go up beside her and I quietly say, you know, you have to get your order in because we don't have too much time. And she didn't want anybody to know. She, she whispered to me, Miss, I've never been to Tim Hortons before. What do you do? So this environment was completely different than any other kid in the class and completely different than my experience in life and probably most experience. And I realized I should have known very, 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 very poor family, never been outside of their, their home where they lived at area. They had no money to do it. So this was a, not just a great experience for her. It was a completely overwhelmingly new experience for her. So it can be such with our children. So, but you were raised in an environment, your children are being raised in an environment. It will have an impact. And then parents, siblings, our family of origin, of course, has that impact on us when there's more than one sibling uh you know sometimes uh you end up being closer to one even as adults you might have a sibling that you're closer to even in the family home sometimes two siblings will end up being very close to each other um you know the experts have studied that and often it's they just connect more readily they have similar personality traits they like the same thing so there's bigger connection think about all the hundreds thousands of people you meet in your lifetime and then those that become friends it's something connects sometimes we're similar and sometimes we're not with friends there's just something that connects us and that can happen with siblings too and so other siblings might struggle with each other and it's not always uh, understanding why but if you have a sibling as an adult who you're struggling with it's almost often that you can you could, if you could rewind the tape of your life and watch yourself live the first six or seven years of your life, that there were probably things that went on there that maybe your parents didn't even know, but have caused this antagonistic feeling within you. And so we might lash out in anger. We might always feel hurt. Anything they say is suspect. That comes from a history that's past, but those feelings rise up in us now. So we have to, with siblings, especially if we'd like to develop as adults a different kind of relationship, we, we might go back and look at it, but we might also say, is what I'm feeling now justified? Or is it probably from the past, which we can't undo, but we'll start moving forward from here. So sort of uh, naming it and claiming it, if you will. Um, and also one thing as parents, I think I have to defend us. We know that personality has a huge uh, impact and that we as parents are not responsible for everything our children do because they're so different. I have four children and they're all different. What worked in disciplining one had no impact on the other. Uh, and so uh, I think we have to understand that some things we can't control, but our job in a sense is, as I said before, to help our children manage. So family members, I talked about this already just a little bit, impact our values and ethics both consciously and unconsciously. Again, that what we don't say matters as much as what we do say, how we say things, 
um, when we see the person on the street who's, uh, you know, asking for money and they're, they're dirty and, and all those kinds of things, you know, we, we might consciously grab our kids and pull them closer because we're just a little bit concerned, not meaning anything about them. We may have complete compassion for the person, but our overriding emotion is to be the mother lion. And so we pull our kids. We didn't mean to send any message, but the message to our children can be, these people are bad. They can't be trusted. We shouldn't care for them. So we teach by both word and example. You learn by word and example. So sometimes we have to unpack our biases and we may not be able to pinpoint them to our childhood, but we might be able to say, it must be something from there. I've never had a run in with this kind of person before. Why am I feeling so anxious, uh, upset, antagonistic, whatever it is I might, I might be feeling. So, you know, we teach children to say, here's a good example, to say, please, from a very early age, my little youngest granddaughter is going to be one in August. Uh, and so now they're starting, you know, when they're, she, she's wants, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you know, she's got the hand going, she wants a piece of something at dinner. They'll say, say, please, you know. Uh, and so they're starting. And my other grandchildren, same thing. So now it's secondary nature. They, they don't think about not saying please. It's just part of who they are because their parents have said it over and over and so can I have a drink please grandma can I have something grandma can I have a cookie please grandma um, uh, <laughs> so and they know how to get what they want from grandma so all I have to do is add the please in and all goes well so that's the kind of thing we ingrain our values and our ethics in our children after a while my grand my oldest granddaughter is nine nobody has to tell her to say please anymore it's ingrained in who she is and I believe she'll probably say that all of her life. She'll say, please. So can be our ethics and our values. So we're constantly teaching by what we do and say and how we do it. Uh, so what we see growing up can be very good. Teaching, please. They see you giving uh, to charity. Uh, they see you at the store when you get outside. I remember once I had the four kids. They were all little. My youngest two are 18 months apart. So the baby was in a car seat. The other one was that much older. Get through the parking lot, the whole ordeal. Got to the car, put the groceries in, got three of the kids into their car seats, et cetera, et cetera, putting the baby in. And I see in the shopping cart that I have accidentally picked up, I think it was mascara and put it on and nobody saw it. I didn't even think about it. So I could have taken it away for free. Nobody was running out to arrest me. But I said to the kids, oh, I forgot to pay this. And I had to go back in, unpack the whole, you know, go back in. But that's a moment of if, if they knew, if I had said, oh, look at that. I forgot to pay for the mascara. Oh, well, what can you do? They didn't seem to notice. And I don't mean it bad. I would never steal. I just, just this moment, but I am teaching a uh, something to my kids. And so this has been part of our past. We might've picked up some things. It can also be part of your children. So, um, you know, we have to look openly at our family influence, at what it was, what it could be uh, at moments when we're, we're questioning. And, you know, we also might discuss um, with our partners, you know, when issues are arising, when we start to have these fights, like I said, the night before we're going on holidays, with my husband and myself, are they legit? Like say to your partner when you're calm, you know, why do you think I got so angry? Or why did you get so angry? Is it something that's surfacing from the past and maybe not about us at all? Because that's the absolute uh, truth and it's so important. 
So family of origin is, uh, as you see, the source of our core knowledge about life. There's no question about it. We are gathering in this world, as I said, from the time we exit the womb until we are uh, old enough to start making our own decisions, which uh, really we don't start making our own decisions until about somewhere around the age of 12 or 13 is the first sort of real mental realization. Yes, kids make decisions. But prior to age nine, kids really don't understand that the world doesn't work like their family because they're around their family most of the time. They might go to school, they might go to someone else's house, but their family is the way the world works. Somewhere between nine and 12, they start to gather data in their brain. Wait a minute, this family doesn't say grace before meals. This family doesn't go to church or this family does. Uh, you know, so there's lots of positives that they're picking up as well. Uh, they see parents who maybe hug their kids all the time, but their parents don't hug very much. It's a norm in their household. And they start to make decisions for themselves about some of the things they would like to have in their life that they see in other families. And by the time they're 12 or 13, they're incorporating some of those decisions you did, I did into their lives. But this pull of family of origin is very hard to overcome when you become an adult. So we might incorporate them, think they're good, this is what I'd like to do. But suddenly in the moment of parenting, when you don't remember that moment, but you remember all the moments in your own household that's back there in the computer chip, you're not going to hug your children because that wasn't done for you. So sometimes the conscious override continues, sometimes it doesn't. So we have to look at some of those things. Uh, and, it, you know, looking back, as it says there, we have to look back and we have to look inward and say, if there's something in my life that I really wish, you know, I wish I would read more with my kids. Why don't I sit down and read with them, put them on my lap and read to them? Maybe no one ever read to you that way, not because they're bad people. And so there's just this disconnect between what you want and what you do. So you have to override the disconnect and say, if I think that's important, I'm just going to start doing it. Uh, and family of origin, of course, it can be a comfort at times. It's familiar. We know it. We know our siblings. No one knows us better in many ways than our family, at least from the beginning. And if we stayed in touch through our adult years, they know us pretty well. So there's a sense of comfort to that. The predictable, the holidays, jokes that we're going to be told, all those kinds of things uh, that come up. So family of origin is important. And because we unconsciously recreate this, the old dynamics of family of origin, the same old issues get played out over and over again against about siblings. Think about the family dynamics. There's jokes everywhere about the getting together at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Everybody's anticipating, can't wait to get the whole family together. And every year, after dinner, over a glass of wine, starts the same old argument. So-and-so says something, the other sibling jumps on it, it's all, you know, we go back to our childhood. Experts have actually studied this and said we do actually revert back. When children go home to their family home, let's say there's three siblings in a family, they're all going home for the weekend, they can be professional people, managing the world, doing very well. They go back home. The three of them are staying in the house for the weekend and they revert back to their old, the one who didn't do the dishes, doesn't do the dishes. The one who is, you know, argumentative becomes argumentative. So these sort of a past history unconsciously can recreate themselves. And again, the only way to override it is to name and claim. 
wow, when I was a kid, we always argued over that. I'm not getting into that argument this year at Christmas. I'm just not going to do it. Okay. Uh, so Can I just ask you just a quick question? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so would it be fair to say that, you know, you know, let's pretend the first five or six years, uh, you know, I, I know a friend of mine, her, her dad, um, like they, you know, he, he went to Australia or Italy, he went somewhere else to work to provide yes. family. Yep. And so, you know, so here she is at home, her dad's not around. And um, so could that then affect her uh, as an adult and affect her? Yes, yes. That what Absolutely. Okay. So that depends on how it was in today's world. You'll have less of that because, of course, in today's world, there's Zoom, there's FaceTime. So there's often a contact depending on how it was dealt with. Let's just say I'm making an example. Her father went off to work. They told her daddy's going to be gone. He's gone for a long time. Uh, and everybody told her that and she knew that maybe he sends her letters or cards. But she has a sense of abandonment. Yes. This person who let me just left me. It can be played out over and over again in other relationships, perhaps with a spouse. Again, I'm just taking an example where her spouse has never gone away to work and has never done anything to abandon her. But he goes out to the store and he's he says, I'll be back in half an hour. But he comes back two hours later because he gets that's my husband. Home Depot can take him in and never to be seen again. Uh, and, and she is angry. You said you'd be back in half an hour. What's wrong with you? Does it matter that he was gone two hours? No. But these feelings are surfacing and she doesn't even quite understand why. And that's a perfect example of why when we can't really rationalize being angry that he was gone, you had nothing to do, you didn't have an appointment, he stayed out for two hours because he went to the store, that's not really a major problem. What would cause you to be so angry? Is there something in the past that I might need to revisit as an adult and say, oh, okay, he was working, he had no choice, had to make money. Uh, and it may help you, uh, and sometimes it needs to be done with a therapist to unpack them and then relook at it, a new window pane that you're looking through. Yeah, and and one thing that I, you know, I guess I've had to do a little bit of work in this area, and part of the reason I was really <laughs> eager to hear you give this talk was that, um, you know, you know, my mom, for example, was a, a young girl when the uh, World War II broke out. Yes. And then, um, you know, then she got married and we were supposed to come to Canada, and but we didn't. And then we did. And, you know, she was very ill after giving birth to me. And, and so I, I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, was I in the hospital with her or wasn't I? Like, I'm, I'm just trying yes. to yes. work, right? Yeah. I, I often encourage women to take uh, your family of origin to Eucharistic adoration and bring a journal and ask yourself, okay, how did my dad affect me positively or negatively? How did my mom affect me? But, you know, and to, and to work on all of those issues because just another interesting, you know, fact, um, my dad, when he married my mom, he was a widower with two boys and, and so the perception that my two half brothers have of the family is completely different than the perception. Yes. That I yes. Had. Yeah. yeah. 
they were grieving their mom. I wasn't grieving anyone, right? Yeah. And so um, it, it really is a, a fascinating, you know, journey to examine the family of origin. You know, I've had to kind of recognize and acknowledge and pray for, you know, my half brothers that, that just see things completely differently. Yes, of course. And, and again, that's what I say. We really can't, you can't change that vision for them. Yeah. but you understand it better. So if yeah. they make a comment now and then as adults to you, you know, oh yeah, well, you were the favorite or, you know, these things, you, can, you can't change their perception. They have to do that work, but you can say to yourself, I'm not going to get annoyed. They're looking at it in a whole different way, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I appreciate this because, you know, I've done a lot of work in this area and I think a lot of moms are either fighting with their husbands or fighting with their children and they don't really understand what's causing it and the other thing that I'm, I'm just such a proponent of and that I'm so glad that you're here is to remind moms that what you are doing today is creating yeah. a family of origin for your children yes and it is. And, and and we can't control everything um yeah. I, I better yes, get myself moving um so we actually see that we can't but the reality is we do our best and yeah. sometimes our kids will be impacted. We also can't interpret how kids are taking something in. I'll give you a perfect example, pool. The pool is a perfect way for you to understand. Some kids, you have the deep pool, they will walk in and jump in and they would drown. They have no fear of the water. You've got to constantly watch them. The other kid comes to the edge of the pool, sees the water, cautious, put the toe in. You know, if an adult's holding them, they'll go in. They're kind of nervous. They hold on. They relax as time goes on. Another kid who's never been in the water, all these three kids, first time in the water, terrified from the second they see the water, screaming, crying, don't put me in. A, you know, they're just, ah. Uh, so these and you see this in young children, the first time they're going to water in a summer, this is a, the child's response is different in each of those cases. And that could be in the same family. So a parent who's taking their child swimming, which most kids love the water and it's going to be fun and we want to introduce them to them. All kids are having a different experience. When they grow up, the youngest one might say, oh my God, you forced me in the water. I was so scared. You didn't care. You know, and the parents say, no, I, just, I did the same for all of you. I just took you to the water, <laughs> you know? So uh, yes, family of origin is having impact, which we can't always control, but you're right. We can think about it and we can think about it as much as possible, you know, yeah. when we're doing some. So, you know, looking at family of origin then, and this is a good segue in, uh, you didn't know my next slide, but uh, it's at times it's learning, unlearning, and then relearning how to have a relationship with a sibling or a parent, how to not pass those same characteristics on to your children when you realize there's something happening. And how do we do that? We have to analyze and discuss all those things you see, their family values, tradition, significant events. Another perfect example is when a married couple comes together one family birthdays were big, big birthday party, big bash, big whatever, every year. In the other family, they barely acknowledge birthdays. Now they come together. The one whose who, who's family really acknowledged birthdays, they're going to have their, for their spouse, they're going to have the cake, the balloon, oh, it's your birthday, oh, you're starting from the morning right through the day. The one whose family didn't acknowledge it, doesn't acknowledge it. And the other one feels unloved, uncared for, because this was a sign of love in my family. For the spouse, they don't know what they're doing wrong even there there was no so again these are sometimes they're conversations do you really want the cake and the party and the balloons from the morning you get up until late at night maybe you do you have to tell this is what i really need because for my family it meant love the other person is not 
unloving to you. They just don't think about it. So all these events, these communication styles, the way we expressed feelings and emotions, when we were told not to express feelings and emotions, you know, don't tell grandma that you don't like her pie. Uh, you know, so uh, sometimes that's an okay thing, um, but uh, it's also a message as to what, how we can, can say and do things. So being honest with this analyzing of your family, not critical uh, and all of those kinds of things, uh, and then changing what we need to. So do I need to share with my spouse, you know, in my family, this is what we did and it's important. So for my husband, um, when we first, the two of us were married and there was no children, we'd have our dinner together. Sometimes we'd both be, I was still in university when I got married. So I was still, you know, I was tired by the time I got home. Uh, we would sometimes sit and have dinner, even in front of the TV is relaxing. It was very different. When my children were born, my first child was born, I wanted to recreate what I had. I loved that we talked as a family. I love that even as adults, we still talk around the table when we all got together. I love that my mother shared politics and social events. So I wanted my kids to be immersed in that. And I told you, my husband's family got up and left. So he'd eat his dinner and be gone. And I said to him, do you notice that the, we're still at the table? not in front of the kids. And he said, yes. I said, I think it's so important. You want to have a relationship with them. And he agreed and he changed his habit, uh, you know, but again, um, it's, uh, it, it, it overrides us at times. We have to do what saying, analyzing, talking about seeing these things and saying, okay, they were different. Do we need to have a new norm or will one say, yeah, I like your norm or, I like your norm. And so we'll kind of do it that way as a family. Uh, also thinking about the challenges that uh, it may ensue for them when they get older. An only child might be given more things, big Christmas, big birthdays and all of that. Whereas a family of eight, like my girlfriends, they just can't do that for every child. So that's it's a much lower key. And we might think that's all fine, but if I'm too big with the only child, Am I going to impact their life when they get, maybe they marry somebody, they have more than one child or two or three, and they can't do that. So just thinking, we have to analyze it. There's really oftentimes no right or wrong. So it's hard to, to kind of, uh, you have to do it all. It's personal work, really what it is. So why look at it? Because as you see, they're staying focused on these things. We're better able to see why and what it is that we do sometimes, why we do what we do, why we have particular beliefs why we make certain choices and experience certain emotions. And then if we're not okay with those things, if we don't like that we think this way, if we don't like that we make this choice, if we don't uh, like certain emotions and the way they're experienced, we can look back and say, yeah, I remember in my family home when I did that, you know, this was the issue and I can change uh, what I'm doing. So when we make links and connections, we're better able to change uh, our thinking and, and incorporate maybe new ones and new perspectives into our views of life and to, if you will, ourselves. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard work, uh, but you, if you look at it, if you take the time, if you talk to your siblings, you know, sometimes like Dorothy just said with your, your, uh, your brothers, um, you know, my siblings and I will talk about a certain event in the family and it's totally the same event 
it's not even the same story. Like you're so, okay, uh, were you there? Was I there? Was it, are we in the same family? Because again, we're seeing it through different eyes. I was younger than both of my sisters. I have an older brother, two sisters, and then a younger brother. They saw things very differently. And in my house, just to let you know, my three older siblings all have dark hair, almost black, well, you would say black, brown eyes. That's my dad. My mom was Irish, born in Ireland. So when I was born with blonde hair and blue eyes and my younger brother was the same, uh, first of all, my mother kind of liked that. I'm the only, my kids, my, my siblings pointed out to this day, I'm the only child in the family who has a picture by herself as a baby because my mother was so excited that somebody actually finally looked Irish that she got a photographer to take a picture to send back to her family in Ireland. My siblings still read me about that to this day. Uh, and people used to say to my mom, you have two families. So this had an impact on us. You know, my brother and I were this separate blonde hair, blue eyed kids. And here were these other, you know, it took us as we got older. Of course, we never felt that way in the family. But these are all things that impact all of these kinds of things. So working through these issues, it's a process and it can take time. And sometimes we do need to work through it with someone who can help us from a professional level. But we're not doing it to place blame, even when things were done poorly. Nobody, no parent, I don't believe there's some parents who are maybe not the best parents, but that's probably because they're incapable of being different, maybe from their own family of origin, et cetera, et cetera. So breaking the chains uh, is important, breaking the cycle, but it's not about blaming people. It's just asking aunts, uncles, you know, what kind of thing I'm trying to figure out kind of, I have some memories. I don't have a lot of strong memories. You know, I'm just trying to piece together because sometimes in my own life, I think I'd like to be a little bit different. Um, and, you know, if you feel like you're, as it says, they're acting out an unconscious script uh, that's as old as you are, maybe you want to change that. Maybe it's not making you feel better. So you ask yourself these questions, you know, what did I see growing up? What kind of relationship did my parents have? How did they show affection? How did they handle disagreements? What would you do differently if, if you, you know, when you look back and then ask yourself, am I doing anything differently? Because we very often repeat without thinking. When we're in the heat of a moment, when we get angry at somebody, the emotion takes over. We don't often think, what's my best way to deal with this situation? And yet, if we did, we'd be much better off. So I, I'm going to be cognizant of the time and try to get through this quickly now because I know we're supposed to end at three. Um, take your time like those people that want to sign off can sign off so okay if you have to go a little longer don't worry you know those people okay. that have to sign off can sign off I'm I'm, I'm loving this um, <laughs> okay. one, one woman mentioned in the chat too is that one thing that really helped her is that um, the, the sacrament of reconciliation that she had yes heard yes and, and I'm and that's then, good I'm getting down to number eight there you know so what behaviors do you want to emulate, you know, emulate, uh, you know, large extended family, one that gets together often, you know, etc. Again, another interesting dynamic in my household, my husband's family was extremely close to his dad's side and almost never saw his, her siblings on the mother's side. In my family, we were extremely close to my mother's family and rarely saw my dad's side. So this was a, like a moment for me. I wanted my, I thought, I don't want, I have children. I want them to be close to me for the rest of their lives. So I don't want anyone in my family to go off to the spouse's side and think it's not important. So I made sure that we were as close to my husband's side 
as we were to my family. And we've been extremely close to both sides over the years. So again, these are just some things you look at your past and you say, okay, what might the impact be? You know, what are the customs of your ethnic background? Are they important to you? Do you feel you have to do them because they were customs, but you don't even really like them? Uh, this is just also, it's not always bad stuff. It's just the stuff of life. And then what is your religious background? Are you all Catholic? Were you all Catholic? My father was not Catholic and he never went to church with us except on Christmas and New Year's because my mother always went to midnight mass or the Easter vigil. And then she'd be at home getting the turkey ready while his job was to take the rest of us to church when we were younger before we could go to midnight mass. Uh, and so, and yet my dad was always said, always growing up, he said, I committed to the church that you will be raised Catholic. And as long as you're in this household, you'll be going to church. So there was not the sense of faith from him, I guess, but there was a sense of responsibility to the commitment of the faith. And so if we're Catholic, again, just as you just spoke about, does that open us up to reconciliation? Do we have that understanding that we are called by our very discipleship to forgive others and to have mercy? And so maybe we just forgive our parents for the things that we thought they didn't really do well. And how do we move on as adults? So stop going back. Every time we visit them, we want to bring up the fact that, you know, you favored so-and-so or I never got singing lessons, but they got singing lessons. <laughs> the things that happen to family that maybe we don't always know about. So the purpose of looking at possible issues and facing them are not, again, to, for blame. It's to come to terms with the past and try to resolve them so that you can let go of some of those maybe feelings of hurt, anger, whatever it is that's sort of holding you back, um, to learn to deal with some of the family of origin issues today. So am I antagonistic with my parents, with my siblings, with one sibling in particular? I don't want that, but I always just, this rage comes up inside of me. Maybe I'm going to be able to deal with that and be able to get past it. Do I want to look at what I'm doing with my kids or with my spouse and say, I don't want that to happen. So I want to interrupt this generational pattern that's been passed on. And it's usually the negative things. We're, we're usually happy to pass on the positive things. But on the other hand, at times, we can feel stifled by even the positive things. Uh, you know, uh, so my mom always made Christmas dinner. I'm, she did, but I'm using this as an example. And oh, she did baking. and She did everything, blah, blah, blah. And you work full time. Your mother maybe did not. Uh, you have a different economic situation. So maybe it's hard to invite the whole family in. But you feel if you don't do it, you're a failure. But most people would say, buy the pie at the store. We're okay as long as we have pie. Exactly. You know? So, so that, that can be too. It's not always something big and bad. It can be little things that we can't give up because we feel like we're failing our family and our family doesn't even notice. One, one of the things I've realized when I make all, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all these events is that I spend a lot more time planning than they spend eating. <laughs> They're done. So now if I'm having a busy, busy time at work and I have to buy the pie, I'm okay with that. But it took me a long time because my mother made all those things and I must be failure if I'm not. We have to interrupt some of those things. And then an awareness and gain a new perspective about sometimes dysfunctional patterns. Uh, and we tend to reenact them in adulthood and we can only stop that when we recognize them. Now, so, what, so, what are your thoughts, Teresa? Because I know that Father Terry McKenna has done a tremendous amount of work in... Um, the healing, the family tree. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I, I made sure that Father McKenna, you know, <laughs> said a bunch of masses for our family tree. Yes. What are yeah. your thoughts 
thoughts on it. Yeah, no, no, he's absolutely right because everything comes historically. This is what we're only beginning to recognize now. And as human beings, just like we hate to say that we're, we're animals, you know, I'm not an animal, I'm a human, but we are part of the, the animal species. And so we have certain uh, animal instincts and those kinds of things that we can control because we're human. Uh, we also tend to think, well, I, I'm not going to be like my parents. I'll do something very different and all that. We can just dismiss it. But it's so inbred in every fiber of our being that it takes more than that. So his work is absolutely right, right? We've got this family tree. We pass down uh, traits that are good and we cast down traits that are not so good. And looking at your family tree, recognizing, you know, you might, you might see back three generations that you didn't know that grandma's husband died when she had seven kids and the oldest was eight years old. And that would have been an impact on their family for sure, because in those days, it would have been hard to survive. Where would she get the food? You know, there wasn't that extra. So lots of insecurities, uh, you know, so you might not be able to even talk to them, but you might say, ah, I wonder if that caused some issues in that generation, which caused it in that one, which now is causing it in us, and none of us ever thought about it. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of things, and so his work speaks to all of those sorts of things, you know? So it's not about blaming. That's the important thing. It's not about, oh boy, I'm gonna find all this ammunition and go sit down with my parents and tell them, wow, you were really screwed us up, no. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and so sometimes we don't wanna do the work because we love our families. We have great families, we have good connections, we have a good relationship, we see them all the time, we love them. And so we we feel loyal. I don't want to kind of look at my family and say they probably did something wrong for me. So it's not about blaming. We're not blaming them. We're really just identifying, addressing, you know, uh, family of origin issues, as we're talking about, that have made an impact. So we're not placing blame, we're facing what happened and taking an honest look at things and saying, you know, that maybe we're going to do something different. And we don't have to share every bit of that with our parents. Oh, can you tell me how you used to do this? Because I really don't like that I do this with my kids and I want to make sure I don't have to do it anymore. That's a bit of a, you know, a negative. Uh, but you can say, you know, sometimes I think about how did you handle discipline with us? Did we get the strap? Did we get set on a chair? Like, how did you handle things? Find the information out and then you do your own changing. You don't have to tell them it's a screw up. Uh, because they were doing their best. So the hardest part can be solving, you know, many of the, the if you will, the, the present day things that are presenting themselves, because it's hard to uh, find out all the facts, the problems, the relationship. Maybe there was substance abuse that no one talked about. Uh, my father-in-law, <clears throat> his father, and nobody knows why, was extremely afraid that his kids would be hurt, injured, or killed. So he was anxious when they rode bikes. He didn't want them to go swimming. There was all kinds of things that he put in a sense, a lot of anxieties on his children because of that, which my father-in-law always tried not to put onto his children, but it was kind of spilling over. And we never really found out because his dad had died, why his dad was so afraid. So was his father afraid or did he have a sibling that died that nobody knew about? That's where looking up your family tree can sometimes, oh, we didn't know grandpa had a brother. He died when he was seven. Oh, I wonder what happened. So you might not know everything, but you might get some hints. So all those things can be heavily influenced. Uh, mental health issues that weren't talked about in the past. Now we're trying to be more open about the fact that there's mental health issues, but some of those are passed on genetically. And so knowing about them can help. 
uh, and again, we, we can't blame people for mental health issues. It's just a matter of being able to look at it and say, do I need to get support from a professional? Uh, is there depression in the family? I'll catch it early before I let it, uh, you know, sort of overtake me. Uh, and, and again, being open to the fact that while there might have been mental health issues in your immediate family, parents or siblings, and you don't experience them, it can be passed on to your children. So instead of denying that there might be an issue, you could be more open to it and say to your physician or a therapist that there has been some mental health issues in my family and I just wanna make sure that my child's okay because I see a few little signs there and I want them to be you know, okay to the best of their ability. So uh, again, we're, we're looking at it we're making the changes we need to. We're not blaming our family. We're not going to go give them a lecture, sit down. I want to tell you all the things you did wrong. It's about understanding where you came from, how you adjust yourself and how you can do things differently because you consciously become aware. I'll give you an example. People who swear a lot will often stop swearing, at least in their home, when they have children. Yes. And most of them will tell you that it was... The first time they said it when they had a child, it was like, oh my gosh, I, I shouldn't do that. That's terrible. It takes a bit of time, but every time they swear, they catch themselves. And then they swear less and less because their mind becomes adjusted to in this environment, we will not use that language. So uh, we're going to use something else. Uh, and that's the same with family of origin. Maybe I act out angrily. And then when I start to, I say, oh, that's that's the thing I'm going to, I'm going to try not to do it, but I still have the emotion. If I keep working at it, keep practicing another way to do it, eventually that feeling of anger won't be there. And so then we're not going to pass it on, hopefully to our children. So we're really doing our best. So we talked, it sounds like we're very negative on family. So I thought I need to end this with a positive piece because our families do great things for us. And we know that there's six major qualities of strong families and in your own family of origin, perhaps in your own with your children, you will recognize some of them. And that's this, they're dedicated to each other's welfare and happiness. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but when we have these characteristics, our kids are gonna do okay. You know, we're not perfect, none of us are. We're human, not divine. Uh, and we're working towards being more divine-like, but honestly, we don't really get there uh, on this side of earth. Uh, so we have to wait uh, till God gives us those eternal gates. We hope to be uh, completely more happy uh, within what, who we are. And so there's a high degree of commitment to the family. And in families, there's commitment. There's a safety net. We feel secure. So we do okay. The second is there's a great deal of appreciation to each other. As you see, their positive messages build each other up. Uh, give compliments, express appreciation. And sometimes kids are better at this than parents, but where people feel appreciated, we can take, you know, it's the old bank. They say in relationships, if you put so much positive in, you can take a negative, but it's something like 20 positives to one negative. So if we do a lot of appreciating, of complimenting, of thanking people for doing that, then when we do have those moments where we're not at our best, they let it go. So it makes for strong families. Positive communication skills, it doesn't matter where you are, but key in families, key in relationships, key everywhere. But part of it is that they're good listeners. Uh, and as parents, we can usually do better because life experience, knowledge, we always want to jump in and tell our kids what they should have done, how they should have done it, instead of just listening. Or here's a good example. 
you have uh, a budget for what you're going to buy for clothing, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're, you don't buy your kids. I'm going to use the example of Nikes. I never bought my kids Nikes because of where they used to make them. But uh, so they never have Nikes, but all the other kids in the class seem to have Nikes. So they come home with the new running shoes. The first day of school, they throw them down on the floor and they say, every other kid in the class has Nikes and you won't buy me Nikes. And so now people are making fun of my running shoes. And as a response, you have many things going through your head <laughs> and you might say, you know what? You're lucky you have running shoes. That would have been my dad's line. So it would have come out of my mouth. I'm sure if this, was, if this happened, you're lucky you have running shoes. We used to have to walk the snow with no shoes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, you're just getting too fine and all that you could have the, or you could say, it sounds like you're very upset about your running shoes. You didn't tell them you think it's okay. You don't have money, all those things that might come. You simply acknowledge that's being a good listener. It sounds like you're very upset. Yeah, I am upset. Well, you know, and you might even say, I'm sorry that you had a hard day with your running shoes. None of that is apologizing for the fact that you bought them running shoes that are not Nikes. It's just acknowledging it. So this positive communication skills, um, you know, we're going to sometimes have issues, but most of the time people then feel free to share how they're feeling, what they're doing. And not only does it let it out of themselves, but it's a good way to be able to uh, resolve conflict because everybody's used to talking. And families that are strong spend time together, quality time in generous quantities. Years ago, I think the debate still goes on, is, you know, is it quality or quantity? And because people wanted to believe it was quality and quality didn't matter. This was all, as long as the time you have with your kids is quality time, it doesn't matter how much time you spend to them. Well, the experts are saying, mm, not quite true. We have to be available to them. So when they have the moment to share with you, that's when they're gonna share. So both matter. And in our busy lives, working activities for kids, that can sometimes be a challenge. But we, as the people knowing it, have to set aside time. Friday night is family night. We're going to have whatever, pizza and a movie. Uh, Saturdays, we go for a walk. Or maybe Sundays, we all go to church together. And then we come home. In our household, it was the big breakfast. We still call it the big breakfast. After mass, we had bacon and eggs. We never had that during the week. So the kids still talk, can we come for the big breakfast this week? You know, uh, these things. So we spend time together. We enjoy our time together. Uh, and we're not always together. We, we make sure that it matters. The sixth is the spiritual well-being. We're committed to a spiritual lifestyle, a belief in God. We talk about God. We say, look at the beauty today that God made for us, that first snowfall. Wasn't God smart to give snow the color of white? Everything looks so clean and beautiful momentarily. It's just a part of who we are, uh, and it becomes part of who they are. And when we see with gratitude what God has given us in our family, when we attend Mass, when we do Eucharistic adoration, even as a family, all those people, we have the spiritual well-being because somebody out there is bigger than I am, and I don't have to do it all. I can rely on God in moments of trouble of angst I can say God I, I need your help right now Dorothy's an expert at that she constantly asks God in fact I don't think any of us have any time to ask God because Dorothy's constantly asking God for something <laughs> and then the sixth one is have a special ability to cope with stress and crisis this is key when moments of bad things happen uh, there's a sudden death in the family a loss of a job and an income all those big events that can happen somebody's very ill. COVID 
you know, came along. There's a sense of being able to keep a balance, you know, that there's something positive. Uh, and I keep hearing over and over again about mental health, how destructive this has been for kids. And then I look at my grandchildren and I think, I'm not sure if it was for all kids. And again, it depends on the kids. Some have anxiety, all those kinds of things. But my grandchildren, they thrived. Two of them in school, they were online, one, you know, not all the time, but partially. Uh, they thrive because their household is loving, their household, they had fun, they were at home, they, it didn't bother them, they missed their friends, but everybody said, whenever they said, oh, you haven't seen my friends for a long time, oh, you'll be so happy when you see them. It wasn't like, I know, it's terrible, I don't know when it's going to stop. So how do we cope with this stress and crisis? When someone's ill, when someone dies, when we have a loss of income, do we sit down and say, okay, we have to make some changes now because grandma's sick and it's going to mean that mom has to go care for her more often, maybe every night for a little while, but you're going to be looked after by dad while I'm gone. Dad's going to be picking up some of the cooking that mom usually does and, and all of those kinds of things. That's not always the case, by the way, it could be the opposite. Dad could be the cook. Uh, and so we, we, we sit down, we say, this is a moment, there's going to be disruption, but we're going to be okay, we're going to get through it. And it's so important that I be able to help grandma right now. And so we're going to maybe need your help to do things a little bit, you know, you pick up your coats and put your do your own homework and those kind. we give them little tasks, but we don't overburden them. And, and we don't sit down at the end of every night and tell them how bad grandma was, and this happened, and that happened. No, we keep it in the context of what they can manage. So families do this strong families do this all the time and it keeps their children healthy and it keeps you healthy and the family bond is then uh connected and so when we have some of these little moments where we're not perfect it's not going to impact our kids in a negative way that has a a long-term impact on their lives so family of origin impacts us yes has impacted you has impacted me will impact our children uh, we are now, by looking at our family of origin, we can help it have less of an impact on our children, but we can also do these six things that will help mediate some of those issues that are so ingrained in us, we don't even know that, that they're happening. So family, in the end, families matter. That's the key. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more foundational. Children need a stable, loving family. And one of the best things you can give to your children even more than how you parent, is that you have a loving relationship with their other parent. When they see that, they feel secure, they feel strong, they feel good, uh, and they can manage some of our, our little pieces that aren't uh, so good. So that's, that's it for today. I'm sorry I'm too talkative. I went over by quite a bit, I see. Are you kidding? I, I could have uh, listened to you for another full hour. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, in closing, because I, uh, you know, I know that you're busy too, you know, like uh, I'm being greedy with your time. But uh, just in closing, Teresa, if uh, if someone wanted to read a little bit more about um, family of origin, do you have any, like, you don't have to give it to me right now. Yeah. Like if there's any additional resources that someone kind of thinks like, oh yeah, I, like this is something, you know, I want to study and you don't have to you know maybe it'll take a minute or two and you can yeah. email it to me. Uh, I, there, there are a couple of good sites um i i'll have to think about that off the top of my head because i tend to go to conferences and hear speakers and take notes and those kinds of things which is sure. you know, and there are some things online i'm just reading there is a question here 
Oh, how, how do people go by the wayside? Yeah. Their kids ticked all the boxes, uh, hard work and just, uh, and then they don't quite do what you want. Well, this is an interesting thing because this is a great question in a sense, you know, you ticked all the boxes, finished school, got amazing jobs. Then some kids uh, do away with all of their hard work and just, you know, do something else. Uh, they do what they want. They become something else. Uh, the job maybe not is what you think is good for the life. This is where family of origin becomes a key, uh, a key because we are not our children. And because when we have expectations, sometimes unconsciously again, that we want our kids to be successful because their success means we're successful, which is absolutely not true. We do our best and then they're people, but we can be disappointed in them. And they feel that disappointment when they decide to do something completely out of your wheelhouse, as they say. You often hear this with actors and actresses, those that are very famous. Of course, thousands and thousands don't make it into the big leagues and as they struggle all their lives trying to, I understand that, which is why parents are concerned. But for those who make it big, their families have the same idea. You're not going to make it. Why would you do this? I'm disappointed. You know, you've had this education. One thing the older your children get, you have to accept is that they come to a place of making their own decisions. And so they're not necessarily throwing it all away. But there's something in their own personality, maybe their genetic makeup, maybe what they've seen in their life that they are exploring what they believe will make them feel better about themselves. And as a parent, we don't have to support them financially and all that stuff to do that, but we really do need to support them in their own endeavors. They're not us. So when we can't understand it, we can say, what, what's, what's making you decide to go this route? I, I really wanna know, honestly. Uh, and you might even say, I tell my kids all the time, I think as a parent, I have the right to tell you something once. If I think you're making a bad decision, even now that they're married, I'll say, here's why I'm worried, worried. I will never raise it again because they are their own people. And what happens is we just become antagonistic and they'll cut you out of their life, which is not really the best. Yeah. And the other thing too, is I encourage um, moms to order masses. You don't have to order them publicly. You can order private masses. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of the littleflower.org uh, organization. Yes, I've, ordered, I've, got yeah. I've ordered lifetime masses for myself, <laughs> for each of my kids, for my husband, because um, sometimes yeah. you yeah. the help of grace, right? And, and sometimes they are making a mistake, but the butterfly story, which I just used in, in, a, in a thing I was doing yesterday, and many of you have heard it, but I'll just really do it quickly. It's the story of the man who sees the butterfly on the the cocoon on the tree outside of his kitchen window and every day he's watching it with his coffee he becomes kind of attached can't wait to see the butterfly emerge so he's watching and watching and one day finally he sees all this movement and the, the cocoon starts to open and the butterfly is beginning to emerge and he's can't wait to see it so he waits and he sits there because he doesn't want to miss it it's going to fly away uh, and all of a sudden things seem to stop and it's like the butterfly is stuck he can't quite get out well he doesn't want something to happen to the butterfly because he's been watching it, caring for it in his mind and praying for it, as you say. Uh, and so he goes out and very, very gently takes a little knife and just cuts the cocoon so the butterfly can get out and can emerge and do what it's supposed to do. And the butterfly does emerge, falls onto his windowsill of his kitchen window, looks very tiny and is having a hard time even fluttering his wings at all. And eventually this is where the butterfly dies. 
And what the man finds out afterwards is that it's in the struggle to get out of the cocoon that the fluid from the body goes into the wings, which allow the wings to expand and then the butterfly can fly. It's a great story for us as parents. Maybe they'll make massive mistakes and they will be there to pray for them, to hug them. Uh, maybe, depending on the circumstance, you would help them in other ways, financially or whatever, but no, we're gonna be there to say, you're still important. You still matter. I still love you. I'm not blaming you for whatever happened, but we have to let them emerge. And sometimes in that emerging, they'll actually become more than you thought. And sometimes they won't, they'll fail. But if we help them too much, if we demand too much, we're not allowing them to experience life. And we only learn from experience. And think about your own life. The most learning happens when we make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then we say, God, please fix it for us. Um, and sometimes God doesn't. God yeah. gives us these opportunities to struggle because he knows it will help us grow to to get the characteristics we need to come forward. And so our children can make big mistakes uh, and then it could take maybe years, 10 or 15 years before that mistake emerges into something where you can look back and say, ah, without that, not this. God will always use opportunities to help us be the best we can be. So it is hard as a parent. There's no question. My children are all their adult years, um, but they're now their own people and they really do have to be allowed. I have a lot of parents, just for those of you that are listening, you might have little kids because when they get older, it's hard when you think they're making a mistake who phone me and they say they, they don't see their children. They won't let them see their grandchildren. There's so much anger and they never understand why. And with just a few questions, they start to say, well, yes, I was critical of them. I didn't like the person they were marrying. I didn't think they should buy that house. I didn't, everything. So the kids just say, I'm an adult, I'm cutting, I, I'm not taking this anymore. So the question always for us is, is it our time to be parents? When they're younger, it is. When they're adults, if they ask us, it is. If they don't, it's not our right. Think about your friend coming and saying, well, that was stupid of you to buy that house. What? Because you bought the house for a reason. You liked it. You thought it was good. You would be angry. You'd probably cut them off. Well, we don't have those rights as family. So it's, it's a challenge. And you might have grown up back to family of origin in a family where your parents had a lot of input. They were always telling you what to do. And for whatever reason, you always did. <laughs> you felt obligated because out of respect, it might've been a good reason you did it. And now when your children don't, I did what I didn't want to do out of respect. This means you don't respect me or you don't love me. Or you don't care for me. Those are all your personal things putting, being put on your children. They may completely respect you, completely love you, completely care for you, but they want to do what they want to do. Yeah. So we have to be careful. This is where family of origin can impact us if we don't unpack it. If we don't remember, yeah, there were lots of things I did because uh, I'll give you an example that's a concrete one. My mom loved to sew and she was a very good sewer. The one thing my mom, I don't think was very good at was pants because the pants were always, you know, they weren't tailored or anything like that. My older sister, two years older than me, she was a rebel compared to me. No way. She was never, I'm not wearing those. Those are stupid. You know? So then I would see my mom look hurt and, you know, and then guess who got all the pants and would never say I wasn't wearing those pants. And so um, to this day, when my own kids, if I buy them something and they're like, well, I hope you don't mind, but I'm taking this back. I really don't mind. 
But earlier when it would first start to happen, because when they're first of all, they wear whatever you buy them. But then at some point they tell you, this is ugly. Why? It would be like, oh, you know, like I bought it for them. They can't just wear it. So that's where that whole, I wore what I didn't like for my mom. Why won't my kids do the same? And I wasn't thinking that consciously, but that's where I had to unpack it and say, you know, if they don't like it, why not take it back? The stores take it back. I don't sew. I wish I had time to. So it's not like a big deal. So all these things are little things and it's a constant challenge and upgrading. But that's why I ended with those six traits. You know, if you love your kids, if you spend quality time, if everybody has good communication, everybody has a chance to have input, everybody can express their feelings and nobody gets mad because they're hurt or don't want to do something. Suddenly the relationship develops into adulthood where you love to spend time together. And even though they get busy with their lives, they still make sure they come back and touch base and, uh, you know, it's all good. So, uh, so I think we should end because we could go on forever. Yeah, yeah. And, and just, again, some people don't have the capacity to actually talk about these things because it triggers them just talking about them. And, um, you know, just last but not least, uh, a very quick story. In my own case, the sacrament of reconciliation, going to confession really, really helped me. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, my husband's family, Canadian, their whole life revolved around hockey arenas and sports. I grew up in a Polish family, no sports. Our entire life revolved around the church. And so every time my husband wanted to take my son or my daughter on a ringette tournament or hockey tournament, I'd go into a rage, right? Because it's Sunday. We don't do that on Sunday. Da, da, da. I finally go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation and Father McKenna says, do you know how many women would die for a husband that is that involved? Sports is a good thing. And you keep your mouth shut, Polarski. <laughs> you know? and, and I had to see that I was creating fights in the family based on my family of origin and not appreciating my husband, who was actually being a very good and committed uh, and devoted dad and sports are a good thing, right? And so I have to face my sinfulness, my anger that was unjust towards my husband. Yes, yes absolutely. Somebody's actually, actually, it's a good good segue again. You know, there's a question saying, you know, it's all good, but how do you get your husband on board with maybe looking at family of origin or how you change what you're doing with your children? Sometimes we can't always get them on side, but we can talk about from an eye perspective that's the best communication tool ever. And it's a, it's a learned communication style to be able to say, you know, I've been looking at things here and I'm worried that, you know, we're being too controlling, we're being too whatever, whatever this case may be. I'm worried, I feel, I really feel that I need this to change. And here's how I see it, you know, how we could change. What are your thoughts? They have their side. Well, that's stupid, you can't, you know. <laughs> If you get into it, well, you never do anything. You'll never try. You'll, you may as well say, forget it. Kiss it goodbye. The constant thing is, well, I think I, I really believe that this is, is, is a problem and I see it impacting our kids. So I'm going to start doing things. I just want you to know I'm going to start doing things a little bit differently. If it makes sense to you, maybe you'll, you will too, but I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. Often people come on side 
when they see that it works, but also any of you that were on the one, two, three discipline, that's a perfect one. If you use that and you see it working, suddenly the other one's like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this too. Cause I don't want to be already. So it is a challenge. It does take two when it's in a family dynamic, but even if one changes, if one person changes, the entire family dynamic changes. Mm-hmm. So you will make an impact and you'll certainly make an impact for your children because you'll be treating them differently and they'll be seeing that uh, the, the dynamics that have changed. Yeah. So and, I, I, yeah. yeah. And one thing you might want to do, like this video will eventually be uploaded to, to YouTube. One thing you might do is sit down with your husband and say, let's watch this video with, you know, Teresa. And, uh, and so maybe in watching it together with your husband, that might open up um, yeah. some, some thoughts anyway. Anyway, so I thank all you that have come on today to hear some of this. And we've been a lot, uh, sorry for the length of time, because I used to try to honor that. Uh, But hopefully good thoughts and good discussions. And, uh, and you know what, you're not going to, you don't have to hunt down every single thing in your past, find things as they come up and say, well, I wonder why I'm like that. I don't want to be that way. And suddenly and gradually and slowly, you can make something different. Yeah, so thank you all for joining us today. Uh, A very big, big warm and thank you uh, to Teresa. Teresa, I just, uh, I just, (laughs) when you were just speaking, my heart was just like rejoicing. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to get her on to talk about? (laughs) I was already excited. You're such a gifted and talented communicator. Um, thank you for using your skills for the glory of God. And thank you for just how generous you are with your time. Um, you just, ah, I just feel like you're a sister in Christ. And I, it's go. like a little mini symphony when I'm listening to you. It's just, you're so gifted and talented. So thank you. That's why I come on because you're so complimentary. I have to come here to get those. <laughs> well, trust me, go. I don't compliment everybody. So, <laughs> and I wouldn't ask you a second and a third time if, uh, if I didn't think you were just uh, totally, you know, you just could communicate very clearly and succinctly and you cover all the bases so quickly. Anyway, um, thank you all for joining us today. Um, There's a song I like to sing at the end. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started and before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so uh, please know our ministry offers a mass every single week for the uh, intentions of the moms that are connected to our ministry. So we are ordering, there's a weekly mass every single Monday. We are praying for you. Um, I'm praying for you during Eucharistic adoration. Please consider starting a Catholic moms group at your parish because it's just so much more powerful and meaningful when there's women sitting around and getting to know one another and actually building relationships. And that's what you would be doing at your parish, okay? Um, We're really excited to announce we're going to be starting four mothers groups in the Archdiocese, the Diocese of, uh, not the Archdiocese, the Diocese of Hamilton. Uh, Nelsie is going to be one of our new mothers group leaders. So rah, rah, hip, hooray, uh, Nelsie, thank you. And uh, anyway, we love you. Um, Thank you for joining us. If you enjoy these sessions, please take your email distribution list 
and send them a link to our YouTube channel so this news will spread because um, we're not meant to stay stagnant in our role as mothers. We're meant to grow. We're meant to grow in holiness. We're meant to um, and you know have fun in our family lives and not be claimed by chains, but we're meant to be called to be free, right? And that's what Christ uh, came to give us is our, our freedom in Christ. Anyway, love you. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And uh, feel free to visit our website. Feel free to make uh, a donation. We have lots of plans for the ministry, but we need your help. Okay, so thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. You were awesome, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.